We left off last time down there in verse 20 of Romans chapter 15. Paul was talking about the various signs and wonders that went out from his ministry, and we pointed out that the signs and wonders were to confirm the word that would be preached to those who had not yet heard the gospel. And indeed, today, there are constant workings of the Holy Spirit uh, in those places where the gospel is, is just now reaching. Some little ways, some big ways. I just talked to our missionary Greg O'Pain, who used to be the youth pastor here for a number of years. He's been over in Hungary now for about nine years. Twelve churches started, a couple more getting ready to start over there. It's a lot of fun. Uh, we just went over and started a church last year in um, Kaposvar, right there where the NATO has its army. And uh, with Phil Mesker, he was here a while back. Um, and uh, one of the missionaries that we support and and is there starting a brand new church, doing a wonderful work. And um, But I was just talking to Greg, and, and uh, he had his passport. He has to carry it over there in Hungary. And he had just uh, gotten enough money to pay all his bills, including his rent and all. Um, it was several hundred dollars, and it was going to be for quite a bit of time. It's a lot of money to a missionary. Um, and... Uh, he had it in his passport, and he had his ATM card in there, and a credit card in there, and all of this cash in his passport, and it was lost. And he was just going, man, this, this is just really seriously bad. And, and he went down and, and reported it to the police down there, and the police officer said, it's, it's history, just forget about it, you know, there's no way. Because you've got to realize, over in Hungary, $200 is a whole month's worth of wages. The typical average income in Hungary is still about 2000 a year. And this was about $600 uh, worth of um, <clears throat> forints, Hungarian forints. And he said, you know what? He told the police officer, I'm going to believe God to not only give me my passport back, but all of the cash. And he told this to this guy, and he goes, it'll never happen. And he said, what if it does happen? Would you believe that God has done this? He goes, absolutely. So he called the, he called the embassy to report that his passport was gone and needed another one. And, and they said, well, what's your name? And he said, Greg O'Pean. And, and he goes, was anything else with your passport? And he goes, yeah. He goes, um, I had about $600 in forints, I don't remember the number, and my ATM card and MasterCard, and he goes, it's all here at the embassy. And uh, he went back and told that police officer, right here, God did it. So neat little things that, that God does just to confirm the word, to confirm what God is doing. And uh, again, to see the Lord work uh, in miraculous ways is not unheard of, and again, I think if we're out preaching the gospel, I think I believe we'll see those signs and wonders as God is as working. Now, Paul was an apostle. The word apostle is what's called a transliteration. A transliteration is where you take the Greek letter and put it the close English letter, since we're translating to English, that it would be. It's not a translation, but a transliteration. And so the word apostle is actually a Greek word, which means sent one. And so he is sent out. And so Paul says in verse 20, And so I have made it my aim to preach the gospel not where Christ was named, lest I should build on another man's foundation. So Paul is saying, My calling is just to go and to talk to people who have never heard about Jesus before and what he's done. And that is where he was traveling. That's where he was going. Now Paul's mission was just to go. He took literally Matthew 28, go, into all the world, go, just go. Okay, I'm gone. And that's what he did. However, we see in one particular venture in, in Acts chapter 16, he was going and the Lord said no. And he started to preach in Asia and the Lord said no. And he went up to the Bithynia there, and the Lord said, no, the Galatia, no. And he kept traveling until he finally hit the ocean over at Troas. And there he just waited on the Lord. 
And I think the word to us is preach the gospel in season, out of season, when it's convenient, when it's inconvenient. Share your faith. If it seems like horrible timing and then you're rejected, so be it. In 2 Corinthians 2, it's a beautiful incense unto God, whether life into life or death into death. Share your faith. Now, if the Lord says no, then hold your tongue. But until he says no, let's just assume it's a go. It's God already said, go into all the world. He says, I'm going to put the power of the Holy Spirit upon you. He says in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, and you shall be witnesses. Not you might be, but you shall be witnesses. And so God wants to fill us with a holy boldness like he did in Acts 4 when they were afraid and, and they were concerned. And there the Lord gave them a boldness. And maybe you have a hard time sharing your faith. Well, God wants to give you a boldness. He wants to cause you to share the gospel in places that it hasn't been shared and to be bold in your witness. And it's a scary thing. And we see there Paul at the very end of his missionary journey in 1 Corinthians 2. He says, when I came to you, I came in fear and trembling and in weakness. And that's at the end of his missionary journeys. It never, got, it never changed. He never went to a new city going, ah, this is nothing, I got this down, man. Give me my soapbox, I'm going to go for it. He always went in with fear and trembling and weakness. And so again, we're in a sinful body. We're in a world dominated by the devil. And this whole atmosphere of the world is against Christ, is an antichrist. And so we have a good reason to be afraid. Chances are you will be rejected. Chances are it will hurt when you're rejected. It's very difficult to be the odd man out. It's very hard to have people in the workplace or people in your neighborhood look down on you as that holy roller, as that crazy Christian, as that person who's nuts because of the way they live and what they believe. It's hard. It wears on you. But we've got to keep fighting the fight. And Paul said, I'm going to go where the gospel has not been preached before. Now, not everyone has that calling. A matter of fact, in John chapter 4, if you would turn there, just to the left a few pages, to the gospel of John. John chapter 4. And in verse 36, John chapter 4, verse 36. And he who reaps receives wages and gathers fruit for eternal life, that both he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. For in this the saying is true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you have not labored, others have labored, and you have entered into their labors. And so... Paul would come to a place, he would preach the gospel, and there would be those who immediately received the Lord. From those immediate converts, he would start a church, set up a pastor, and on the way he would go. But you've got to realize, as it says in Isaiah, when we preach the gospel, the word always goes forth and never returns void, but always accomplishes the work it would send out to do. So as many as are called to eternal life, those seeds are making an effect. They are growing in their hearts. I don't know how many times I've had people tell me, man, I wish I could go and find the person that I beat up so badly when they first shared the Lord with me. I wish I could know that guy on the Navy ship or that person I worked with up in L.A. or on the other side. People that shared the Lord with you and how you made their life hell because they shared the Lord with you. And how they were, you were difficult upon them. How many of you guys ever made it difficult upon somebody for sharing the Lord with you? How many people here? Oh, about a, a quarter of you. A lot of people are like that. And they'd say, man, I wish I could go back. And so, again, realize that some of those people that were hard on you, some of those people that seem like they would never receive the Lord, are some of the people that do eventually come to Christ because of the seeds that you sowed. And so it's... For some people in their ministry, they come and sow where other people have been laboring. And they're able to reap of another man's labor, and that's okay too. When is it not okay? When people are trying to steal sheep. 
There was a guy up in North County and he plastered, spent $45,000 a month. He got some businessmen to in on it and spent $45,000 a month for a year. Every single bus, every single bus stop, full page ad up in the Oceanside area newspaper. And all he said is church shouldn't be boring. And that was his logo. And then he would advertise all the different sports figures and bands and, and everything he was going to have on a continual basis. What is he trying to do? He's trying to get people out of other churches into his church. He's not trying to reach people for Christ. He's trying to transplant people for Christ. We're to be fishing for men, not dipping out of others' fish bowls. That's not right. That'd be like saying, hey, get another wife. Wife shouldn't be boring. Every relationship gets boring from time to time. Get another job. Your job shouldn't be boring. Everybody's job is boring from time to time. And so again, what are they striking at? Getting those people who are saying, hey, new and improved, let's go give it a try. And that's it's not a healthy way to approach it. Does it work? Yes, it works. Is it right? No, it's not right. And again, I, I think that we should try, be trying to reach people for Christ. I know uh, 14 years ago when we started the church here, we started it, the only place we could find to rent was over off of Plaza Boulevard there in National City. And, and we passed out flyers throughout the neighborhood. And uh, about 30 people came. And none of them knew the Lord. And that first Sunday, almost every one of them came to Christ. And that was just a wonderful sign to me that, hey, I am here. I'm, I'm going to uh, touch people's hearts who I'm calling into salvation. And no doubt some of those people had been labored with before. Relatives and friends and grandmothers praying and witnessing and sharing. And, and then, hey, there's a church right around the corner starting up. I'll, I'll go give it a try. And they get saved. That, that's beautiful. Now, that's not to say that people aren't going to hear who are in other churches not really content. I, I know uh, there's people in certain areas where there aren't Calvary chapels that if there was a Calvary chapel, they would start going because they love the ministry of Calvary chapel. But there's not one in their area. And if one were to start, they would go because they're really not getting fed where they're at. And uh, that's the most important thing, to get fed and to feel filled up, overflowing. When you leave from church, like, man, I just... Worshipped and man, I really got fed the word. And if people are sticking around because of some kind of loyalty, well, you know, I've been in this church 20 years and my parents were here before me, and that's not a good reason to stay around a church. Are you getting fed? Are you getting built up? Are you growing in Christ? That's the important issue. And so there are those people that are going to labor. So to say, well, you shouldn't start a church where there is churches already, that's not necessarily true. For example, up in L.A. area, if you were to take every church in existence, no matter what kind of church it is, even cults, every possible church building in existence in L.A. area, and you were to fill it up every Sunday morning five times, you still could not even get a quarter of the population of L.A. in church on Sunday. So there... There may be, seem like there's several churches around, but there's still not enough churches for the amount of population of people. There's still a great work. So uh, since most of the churches don't have five services every Sunday morning, you can estimate that it's a very small percentage of people that do go to church in L.A. So it's really still an unreached place. Then you can say, well, back in wherever, the Bible Belt, Say you want to go back to Georgia or somewhere and you say, man, there's so many churches back there. But are they really hearing the gospel? You see, most of those places in the Bible Belt, they preach a feel-good religion. And it's not the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the fact is, is if you went back there and preached the gospel of Jesus Christ, you might get stoned. Them thinking they're doing God a service, as he says in John 16. So some places where they've heard the gospel, and the gospel was once well-known, 
need to hear the gospel again because what they have now is a warped, watered-down version of Jesus Christ and what the Bible says. If you study church history, you, you would know that Germany once was a place where it was the hot spot spiritually and missionaries were sent out all over the world from Germany. But liberal theology came in and choked out the church until it's dead, basically, in Germany. And then in England was the hot spot. And, and there in England, just thousands of missionaries sent out around the world as it was the spiritual hot spot. But liberal theology came in again, and it killed it. And now America has been, for the last century, the spiritual hot spot. But what's going to kill America? The same thing, liberalism. And uh, really, until the Calvary Chapel movement uh, started about 35 years ago, 25 years ago in its impact, um, the church was definitely in a major decline in America. And just like Jesus, a bunch of unlearned, uneducated men who got zapped by the Holy Spirit, truly got born again and empowered by God, just went out and started telling people what the Lord had done in their lives and what the Bible says. And again, those who are got their seminary degrees and all looked down at their nose saying, hey, you know, theologically, let me straighten you out, you see. And as they're up in their Eiffel Towers and their Ivory Towers um, looking over pet peeve doctrinal issues, there's people literally preaching the gospel and people getting saved. And so that's the work that God wants to do. He's not looking for educated men. Jesus didn't choose educated men. He's not looking for men that have some great intellectual capacity. He's not looking for people who uh, have some kind of fame, you know, I was a famous whatever and now I can start a church. He's looking for available people who would simply say what the Bible says. And God will honor that. And today there are places where the gospel has been heard but needs to be reheard. In England today, in Germany today, uh, People for centuries were inoculated to the truth. You go down to the rescue mission and try to preach the gospel to those street people. It's tough. Because every time for them to eat, they have to hear a gospel message. And they've been literally inoculated to the truth. And so there's a lot of people today who have heard the gospel, but they're inoculated by it. They're in no way going to be affected by it because they've heard it so many times without power, without conviction, without the Holy Spirit, that it's just a bunch of dead words to them. And to hear those same words again has no effect on them whatsoever. We need people who are unctionized, empowered by the Holy Spirit, going out and preaching the gospel everywhere. But Paul in particular wanted to go where the gospel had not been preached before. The Lord spoke to him this particular point through Isaiah Chapter 52, verse 15, it says, he quotes it there in verse 21. To whom he was not announced, they shall see. And those who have not heard shall understand. And so here he has a scriptural base for his ministry and, and his particular philosophy of ministry. And so it's important to have a scriptural base for our philosophy of ministry. Here at Calvary Chapel, our philosophy comes from Jeremiah 3.15. God will raise up shepherds after his own heart who will lead the people with knowledge and understanding. And also Isaiah 28. And they shall be taught, line upon line, precept upon precept, here a little, there a little. And so the, the philosophy is again established out of the scripture saying God wants shepherds that will just teach the people the knowledge and the practical application of God's word. Line upon line, precept upon precept. Without teaching verse by verse through the, the word, there's so many teachings that people will miss. Because it's not necessarily an informative topic you would teach on. It's not necessarily a mo motivational topic you would teach on. Right now is a perfect example. Could you imagine on a Sunday morning message preaching on uh, verse 20 and 21 as a topical message? It really wouldn't work. But as we're taking line upon line, precept upon precept, there's issues that are important, but maybe 10 minutes important, not a 30-minute or 40-minute message important. 
And so therefore, since if I'm only teaching a topical message, I'll never teach certain aspects that really do hinge together the whole counsel of God. And I, in Acts 20, Paul said, so he did not cease to preach to you the whole counsel of God. And so that's our scriptural base for our particular ministry and philosophy ministry of Calvary Chapel. Well, it goes on in verse 22. And for this reason, I have also been much hindered from coming to you. So Paul wanted to come and visit the church in Rome, but his priority was to teach the gospel where it had not yet been preached, and Rome had already heard the gospel through others. So therefore, Rome kept getting knocked down in his priorities. However, he knew that there were certain aspects of the doctrine of Jesus Christ that the other apostles did not understand. And this was a constant tension between Paul and the other apostles. We see in Acts chapter 14 and 15 where men were coming up from the apostles and, and, and Paul and Barnabas were just having these knockdown, drag out fights over the doctrine. They're saying, no, 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 the Gentiles still have to be circumcised. They still have to follow the law of Moses. And, and, and Paul's saying, no way. They can be completely Gentiles just the way they are, except they love God, period. And that was a point that Paul had to establish. And in his missionary journeys, he had to stop, take these group of men that were coming and visiting the churches behind him, who were screwing up everything, messing it up as he was trying to go. They were following along behind him. And he had to turn it around and go back, take these guys back to Rome. And they had this discussion. And finally, they all agreed. And in chapter 15, Peter says, yep, you know, that's what the Lord did with me when I went down to Caesarea. The Lord just really uh, saved those Gentiles with no circumcision, nothing at all. He just saved them, period, through the gospel of Christ. Leave these guys alone. But then later on in Galatian, the whole book of Galatian is on these Judaizers. He has to rebuke Peter in front of the whole church, saying, guys, Peter is being a hypocrite. When the Jews are here, he's kosher. When the Jews leave, he eats with the Gentiles. This cannot be. It must stop. I've told Peter. I've talked to Peter. He'll agree with me behind closed doors, but then he keeps being a hypocrite, and I want everybody to know he's in the wrong. And Peter, you need to repent. It was a heavy issue of this tension with Paul back and forth. And so he's saying, man, I want to come to Rome, but I, I'm busy trying to establish the church in grace without the Judaizers. And plus there's places that the Holy Spirit's leading me to preach the gospel where it's not yet been preached before. And he had kept, evidently earlier, he had sent word to Rome, I'm coming, then, then not showing. And so as we saw in Acts chapter 1, he apologized to him saying, hey, it's not that I'm a flake. I'm not a flake. <laughs> I'm genuinely on my way there. I am... I just have other priorities that have come up. And remember that a lack of communication is always perceived as negative communication. If you see somebody in the mall, and, and, or they see you, and, and you walk by them without saying anything, what do they think? Man, that was rude. What's up? What, I mean, did I offend them? Did, you know? And you start racing through your mind going, man, what's wrong with me? And, and then you start saying, well, yeah, I did take their chair at the church picnic, but, you know, I, man, if that's, they're going to be upset over that, so they're not going to even say hi to me, well, forget them then, blah, blah, blah. You find out later, their dad died, and they had a migraine headache, and, and they had an ingrown toenail, and, and they were just trying to make it to the doctor, and they didn't even see you. But here you are with this big thing in your mind going, well, forget them if that's the way they're going to act. And it's like, no, hang on. So in the same way, no doubt the church in Rome is thinking, oh yeah, yeah, Paul's just a talker. He doesn't really come. He's just a flake. He's just this and that. And it'd be confirmed. You see, the Judaizers are coming up going, oh, Paul's this, Paul's that. Oh yeah, I know. He said he's going to come here. Never did. I believe it of him. And Paul's now communicating, saying, guys, I want to come to you. The reason I haven't come to you is spiritual warfare, priorities to preach the gospel where it hasn't been preached. And then there's other issues that I'm having to deal with, but I plan on coming. And so again, he makes mention that he's been hindered, that he wants to come to them. And again, guys, if our eyes are upon man, we're always going to be frustrated and disappointed. 
We've got to get our eyes on the Lord and think positively. We've got to, we've got to do that. We've got to get our eyes on the Lord and show grace to one another. And so, if somebody seems to have, you know, they were going to call you at 7 and they never called you at all, just, hey, pray for them. God's got something else going on. It just wasn't the Lord's will. God has something else for me to do. I need to get my mind and my eyes upon that. Don't, don't be negative. Don't be down on people over those issues. And then also, it says here, but now no longer having a place in these parts. So Paul's rejoicing here. He's saying, hey, I've come to preach the gospel where it has, hasn't been preached. And then he's saying, hey, I can move on now because the gospel's reached here. Paul writes in Acts, for I, I preach to you the gospel that has come also to the whole world. So Paul can later on in the book of Acts say, the known world of that time had indeed heard the gospel. And guys, that was, if, that was within uh, a couple of decades, which is pretty radical when you think about it. In 1935, 67% of the world had heard of Christ. Today, it's less than 28% of the world. The amount of missionaries that were on the field last year is less than this year. And it's continuing lessening every year. There's less and less people going to the mission field. There's less and less people venturing out preaching the gospel where it's not been preached before. The Muslim world is making it very violent to preach the gospel. There are tens of thousands of Christian martyrs every year. Last year, 600,000 documented Christian martyrs in our world. Which is outstanding. It's just astounding if you think of it. In Sudan alone, in the last 10 years, 5 million people have been killed. There's a ministry in the Sudan. And a particular wealthy businessman, unknown, is willing to pay any Calvary Chapel pastors who want to go to minister in Sudan. It costs about $6,000 round trip to get there. Once you get over on the other side of the world, you're flown in under radar range. And that's it. You're gone. The American government, no government knows that you're there in Sudan. And once you get in there to try to minister to the Christians, one particular Calvary pastor, uh, he, through businessmen who have are willing, usually takes over several hundreds of thousands of dollars to go buy Christian slaves off the market to buy them and uh, then to free them. Uh, there are Calvary Chapel pastors that, it's, it's funny, uh, there's one Calvary pastor up in uh, north part of California. He's Japanese. His wife is white, and they have a black Sudan baby uh, they've adopted. It's, it's horrible what's happening there and in Uganda, and many, many other places. It's, it's heavy. The cost is great to preach the gospel. And so, again, Paul saying here, I've gone, I've done it. These, I can now say that I, the gospel has reached these parts, and I can move on. And now having a greater desire these many years to come to you, so I can be free, I need to now go on the opposite side of where Rome is, to preach the gospel where it has not yet been preached. So from where he's at to that side, um, it had heard the gospel. Now he's going to jump on the other side of Rome and go the other way to preach the gospel. So whenever I journey to Spain, I shall come to you, for I hope to see you on my journey and to be helped on my way there by you, if perhaps I may enjoy your company for a while. So when I reach there financially, I'm going to need some help to continue on my journey. I'll need a place to stay. And I want to minister to the brothers. In Acts chapter 1, or excuse me, Romans chapter 1, if you remember at the beginning of this book, verse 11 and 12, For I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gifts, 
so that you may be established. That is, that I may be encouraged together with you by the mutual faith, both of you and me. So I forgot to finish my thought earlier on this, and that is that Paul understood things that the other apostles didn't. And he ended up writing half of the books of the New Testament were penned by Paul. And so he knew that although others had came there and told them of Jesus Christ and led them unto Jesus Christ, there were some serious, important doctrinal issues that they didn't understand. Many here are written in the book of Rome, which is probably the heaviest doctrinal book of the New Testament. And he's saying, here's a little uh, intro to where I'm going to be going, and I'm going to come and expound to you what I've written here in the book of Romans. And so he wanted to strengthen them. So he wanted to come there and enjoy their company, to bear fruit to them, to have them bear fruit unto him. And in verse 25, But now I am going to Jerusalem to minister to the saints. For it pleased those from Macedonia and Achaia to make a certain contribution for the poor among the saints who are in Jerusalem. It pleased them indeed, and they are their debtors. For if the Gentiles have been partakers of their spiritual things, their duty is also to minister to them in material things. Now, the church in Judea, it was heavy what would happen to them when they believed in Jesus Christ as the Messiah. Immediately, they were cast off from their family. Now, you've got to remember the whole society was built upon the family business. And so the son would work for the father, and the, they had more than one son, they would build different aspects of the business. But everybody worked on the same farm or in the same business with the family. That was the structure. But here, if you now get saved, you are an outcast. Your family kicks you out. You have no job. You have no place to live. You have no inheritance. If you had some kind of widget to sell, nobody would buy it. They wouldn't let you go into their stores to buy food. You in every way were able to survive in such a society. And those in the cities were hit the hardest. If you were in the country, you could somehow make by with a garden or something to try to get some piece of land somewhere. But in the cities, they had nowhere to turn. And so if you remember in the first part of Acts, all those who were wealthy sold everything, brought it in, and they lived on, uh, for a while, the, the money from the wealthy that they had given. But that only lasted for a time. And then all that money from the wealthy people was gone. And it was very tough. And then back to back, we learn in Acts chapter 11 that a famine hit all of Judea. It was prophesied before it ever came. And so the, church, the, the Gentile churches began to get together money to help. So when the famine hit, uh, they would be ready. It was prophesied there in Acts chapter 11. And so Paul, going back through visiting the various churches he started, encouraged them, said, hey, you owe the Jews. The Messiah was a Jew. I am a Jew. All of those out preaching the gospel are Jews. You have been adopted into a Jewish faith, so you Gentiles, you've received spiritual things from them, so you owe to them financial things in this season for this time. And so if you'll turn with me over to 2 Corinthians chapter 8, we see Paul's concepts on this whole idea of the Gentiles helping out the Jews and also the whole concept on giving that he was preaching at this time to the churches of Macedonia and Achaia. And he says there in chapter 8, Moreover, brethren, we make it known to you and the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. So he's talking to the church there in Corinth. That in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded in the riches of their liberality. So when he came to the churches of Macedonia, he found that they were poor. As the Bible says, most of the people that are saved in Christianity are poor people. Most rich people to get to heaven like a camel getting through the eye of a needle. The church has always been built upon the widow's might in every way. It's not looking to the rich guy to give a whole bunch and, you know, we're all praying for the rich guy to give a lot. That's not the way it works. The widow gives her mites and enough widows, the church is built. And so he's coming to them and they had joy, but they had deep poverty, but they still gave liberally. 
And in verse 3, For I bear witness that according to their ability, yes, and beyond their ability, they were freely willing. Imploring us with much urgency that we would receive the gift and the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. So they, as Paul there was saying, guys, you're, you're giving too much. You're giving beyond what you, you're able. You're going to put your own self in a financial hardship by the amount you're giving. They begged us to take it anyway, extending their hand of fellowship to minister to those dear Jewish saints. And this they did, not as we had hoped, but first they gave themselves to the Lord, then to us by the will of God. So they really had this surrender to Christ that was just blowing Paul's mind. And then after they had so surrendered their life to God, they really gave themselves and fellowship to the Jewish believers as well. So he urged Titus that as he had begun, so he would also complete this grace in you as well. The grace of not just giving themselves, but also giving financially. But as you abound in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all diligence, and in your love for us, see that you abound in this grace also, the grace of giving. So he's saying that Titus was there, what a beautiful brother, and what an example he was. He had the faith in speech and knowledge and diligence and love, but also now in financially giving. And in verse 8, I speak not by commandment, but I am testing the sincerity of your love by the diligence of others. So he's saying, look at Macedonia. They are poverty-stricken people, unlike you people at Corinth. Corinth was uh, right on the, where, the, where the ships went through, the seaport area. They were a wealthy area. And he's saying, look, these guys gave a tremendous amount, and they are, they're poor people. They're in poverty, and I am letting you know this to compare your diligence with theirs. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that through, though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. So Jesus set that example of even though he was rich, became poor for us, that we might be rich in having salvation. And in this I give my advice. It is your, to your advantage, not only to be doing what you began and were desiring to do a year ago. So a year ago they gave some and they said, oh yeah, over the year we're going to give a whole bunch. So the time Paul passes by through in a year, man, we're going to have a whole bunch of money to help out. He says, I know you started it, but evidently it quickly puttered out. But now you also must complete the doing of it, that as there was a readiness to desire it, so there also must be a completion out of what you have. For if there is first a willing mind, is it acceptable according to what one has and not according to what one doesn't have? So you don't want to put it on your MasterCard to give. You don't have it, don't give it. But, he says, I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened. So he's saying it shouldn't be other, either way. I'm not saying, oh, the church in Macedonia is poor, so we won't even ask them to give. We'll just ask you. Or, no, we're not, we're not doing that. We want you to know that Corinth isn't alone bearing the burden because you guys are the rich people. He's saying, we're letting everybody know, even the poor people. And you'd be blown away how much the poor people have given. And I think that it would be an example to you who are rich to even give what they gave. But by an equality <clears throat> that now at this time your abundance may supply their lack and their abundance also may supply your lack. So in other words, financially you can give far more, but their example should encourage your, your giving to give a lot. So the amount they gave isn't near what you guys could give, but if you could look at their example of their willingness to give and you had that same willingness and you give proportionally as they gave then the amount of money that we're trying to raise for the poor in Jerusalem uh, it would it would make it they got the desire you got the money so if we can just flip-flop that and uh, you get the same desire they had uh, we'll see the amount of money that we hope to have to supply the need in Jerusalem uh, raised and so that there may be equality. As it is written, he who's gathered much has nothing left over, and he who gathered little had no lack. And so Paul here very practically is saying, I know you have a desire in the moment, the excitement there, but now when this excitement starts to wane, is the discipline there, is the dedication, is the loyalty, is the commitment, is the spiritual insight, as Paul would say in Philippians 4, I, this principle of giving and receiving. As you give, God's able to give back unto you. 
Do you have that down or are you sort of losing your vision here? Are you losing your focus? But thanks be to God who puts the same earnest care for you into the heart of Titus. And he not only accepted the exhortation, but being more diligent, he went to you of his own accord. So I talked to Titus about this issue, and then it was in his heart to go share with you guys what I had shared with him. So Paul's saying, I'm not trying to manipulate you. I didn't send Titus down there to give you a, a spill. That was out of his heart to teach you on the spiritual principles of giving. And we have sent with him the brother whose praise is in the gospel throughout all the churches. And not only that, but who was also chosen by the churches to travel with us with this gift, which is administered by us to the glory of the Lord himself, and to show your ready mind, avoiding this, that anyone should be, blame us in this lavish gift, which is administered by us, pro providing honorable things, not only in the sight of the Lord, but also in the sight of men. So Paul didn't want it to be a Jewish gift to a bunch of Jews. He wanted a bunch of Gentiles to go down there with him, so when the gift was given... Those Jews who are still a little pharisaical, still really still having a hard time to accept the Gentiles, they'd be blown away. And that, that's so the gospel, isn't it? Kill them with kindness. You know, we can often get attitudes and say, well, fine, if that's the way they're going to be, that's the way we're going to be. You know, those Jews think us Gentiles aren't worthy to eat, then forget them. We're not going to give them anything. But that's not the heart. The heart is, I know because of the way they were raised in that pharisaical mindset of Judaism. It's so hard for them to accept as Gentiles. Let's just bless them and love them anyway. And then as they receive that love from the Gentiles, they're broken and humbled by it. That was Paul's desire. And we have sent with them our brother, whom we have often proved diligent in many things, and now much more diligent because of the great confidence which we have in you. If anyone inquires about Titus, he is my partner and fellow worker concerning you. Or if our brethren are inquired about, they are messengers of the churches of the glory of Christ. So if anybody says, what's up with these guys? Say, hey, they're saying the same thing Paul would say. Although it's new, although it's different, although it's talking on money, hey, it's the same gospel. It's coming from me. I'm backing them up in what they're saying. Therefore, show to them and before the churches the proof of your love and of our boasting on your behalf. Chapter 9, verse 1. Now concerning the ministering of the saints, it is superfluous for me to write to you. Unnecessary. For I know your willingness about which I boast of you to the Macedonians that Achaia was ready a year ago. And your zeal has stirred up the majority. So it was funny because Paul was in Corinth and he told the guys, oh man, the Corinthians, they've already started giving. They already have a, a, a fun box to the people in Jerusalem. And so then when Paul went about to the other churches, they're going, man, well, they're already starting. We need to start. But they all started and kept going all year. And the Corinthian church, they started and didn't do it again until Paul <laughs> now is writing the letters going, hey, I hear that box is empty. I hear you guys aren't giving anymore. And yet I told all these other people that you were giving. But I didn't know that you weren't continually giving. And so I want you to know that I told them you were giving, but now you're not giving. And he's saying, so I stirred them up by your zeal, but now he's trying to turn it around and stir up the Corinthians by the other Christian zeal. Yet I have sent the brethren, lest our boasting of you should be in vain in this respect, that as I said, you may be ready. So he's sending with this letter in hand, getting it there quickly, so when Paul shows up with these other Gentiles from these other areas that he had boasted in the Corinthian church, and they show up saying, well, you know, we still got the hundred bucks we raised the first month, and that's it, that it would be a great embarrassment to the Corinthian church after Paul had already boasted in them. Lest if some Macedonians come with me and find you unprepared, we, not to mention you, should be ashamed of this confident boasting. Therefore, I thought it necessary to exhort the brethren to go to you ahead of time, prepare your bountiful gift beforehand, which you had previously promised, that it may be ready as a matter of generosity and not as a grudging obligation. So, hey guys, you got a few months still. Start giving. I don't want to show up and say, oh, Paul's here. Let's all fork it over. I don't want that. And I'm not going to be a part of that. And he goes on to say in verse 6, but I, this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. He who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, 
for God loves a cheerful giver. So Paul is confident that God's going to meet the needs of the Christians in Jerusalem and in Judea. Man, now this Christianity stuff is really a bummer. Because now all we got to do is, you know, help these Jews out all the time. That's the only reason they shared the Lord with us Gentiles was so we could support them. No, that's not what's going on. God's going to meet their need. Here's the neat thing. Is God is giving you an opportunity to meet that need. God's going to do it. But he's going to let you partner and be a part of that. And so here he's saying, And God is able to make all grace abound towards you, that you always having all sufficiency in all things may have an abundance for every good work. As it is written, He who is dispersed abroad, he has given to the poor, his righteousness remains forever. Now may he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food supply and multiply seed. You have sown and increased the fruits of your righteousness, while you are enriched in everything for all liberality, which causes thanksgiving through us to God. For the administration of this service not only supplies the needs of the saints, but also is abounding through many thanksgiving to God, while through the proof of this ministry they glorify God for the obedience of your confession to the gospel of Christ and for your liberal sharing with them and all men. And by their prayer for you, who longed for you because of the exceeding grace of God in you, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. So again in verse 6, he who sows sparingly will reap sparingly, he who sows bountifully will reap bountifully. God's going to meet the need. He goes on to say, God's going to do it, but God's giving you the opportunity. And you know, this is such an important aspect that we really understand that you don't outgive God. You're not throwing money away. You're sowing that seed that's going to come back. Talked to a fellow pastor this last couple of weeks and and uh, they're trying to get some money together for a building. And at the same time, a need came up for the missionaries. They needed money to buy a building. And he's going, man, I, I wish I was in a different season where I could help them out. And I said, you've been saving some money. Send it. Send part of it. Send some of it. Whatever your faith will allow. Think of it. What are you trying to get? A building. So, sow that seed to bless somebody else. As you give, it's given back unto you, pressed down, shaken together, running over. There's no doubt in my mind that God is, is giving you this opportunity. You were trying to save up for your own building, but yet now that you have a little bit saved up, but yet it's enough to supply the need of somebody on the other side of the world, and then God's going to give back unto you, a, you know, whatever he desires and more. And so I, I've always looked at it that way, that you can't outgive the Lord. And that we see there, for instance, in Habakkuk, when, or excuse me, Haggai. There in Haggai, the temple is trying to get built. Ezra has come in and saying, guys, let's build the temple. Let's build the temple. And and they get the foundation laid, and then they're all building their own buildings in their own houses. And Haggai says, hey, consider this. There in Haggai chapter 1, consider this. You're building your own houses, but yet the house of God sets desolate. If you will first build God's house, then God will build your house. But until you get that priority straight, your bag is like, your bag of money has a hole in it. You sow, but you reap little. You are trying to get more, and you get less. And he says, turn it around. Give first unto God, and then God will give back unto you. And that is the principle we see all the way through the scriptures. And so Paul here, as he's writing to the church of Rome is trying to get together this gift at this time. So this is a neat little insight of when Paul is writing the letter to the church of Rome, he might be there at Corinth at that time, or might be writing also the letter to Macedonian churches, or traveling through the churches of Macedonia, as he's trying to gather together the finances to take to Jerusalem. 
Now we know in Acts 21 that he does make it to Jerusalem, and there he gets arrested. And he stays in prison, and he does make it to Rome as a prisoner. Interesting, isn't it? Paul says, I'm going to come by way to you on my way down to Spain, and, and uh, when I get there, you know, we'll fellowship together. When he got there, he was in prison. You never know what tomorrow brings. And there's just that point where blessed is the flexible, how God's going to work. And in verse 28, ending here tonight, in Romans 15, 28, Therefore I perform this and have sealed to them this fruit. I shall go by way of you to Spain. Paul's plan was as soon as he got that gift dropped off to Jerusalem, then he was going to catch the first boat he could over to Rome. When he got to Jerusalem, starting in Acts 21 to 28, he got arrested. Finally, he appealed to Caesar, and as a Roman citizen, he could go and talk to Caesar. So he goes to Rome, shipwrecks on the way there. Tradition has it that in Rome, he finally did make it to see Caesar. He was released. Tradition says he went down to Spain. We have no um, facts, facts on that at all, but tradition says he went down to Spain and while he was there in Spain preaching the gospel, Nero ascended to Caesar, went back and fetched Paul, brought him back to Rome, and then beheaded him. But for years, Paul would be stuck in prison. He had his plans. I'm going to come to you guys and then on down to Spain. We never know what tomorrow's going to bring. Make your plans, but then be flexible to how God may want to change them. Blessed are the flexible, they shall not be broken. Well, we'll pick up next week there and look at striving together in prayer. Lord, we thank you for your word. And we do ask in Jesus' name that you would cause our hearts to burn deeply within us. As we see Paul's heart, as we see his ministry, as we see how he's ministered spiritually and practically, Lord, we come before you. And we ask in Jesus' name that we would look at your principles, look at your word. Whether it's on going and preaching the gospel, or whether it's meeting those urgent needs of one another, or whether it's supplying the needs of brothers on the other side of the world, on the principles of sharing our faith or of giving, or just that heart's attitude to be sold out for you as we see Apostle Paul was. Lord, cause these words to go deep into our hearts and change us constantly into your image as we meditate on these things. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, we ask. In Jesus' precious holy name, amen.